You know when you hear those songs? Those songs that just speak to you. Those songs that, that make you feel like you can conquer the world. And those songs that connect with you at your lowest points. Music is a powerful influence in our lives, and it has been for years. These are the original Songs of Summer. Good morning. Welcome to all of you, no matter where it is you're joining us from, whether that be one of our Rochester area campuses or online, it's really good to have you with us. My name is Mark Nelson, and I'm the campus pastor over at our Greece location. And I do want to take just a moment to give a shout out to all my Greasers out there, uh, those of you at the Greece campus. Love you guys. Hope you're doing well. Uh, well, my family and I, we moved here uh, to Rochester nearly 10 years ago. And when we first moved here, I remember, I remember being told, there's this great local restaurant that you need to check out. They claim to have the world's greatest cheeseburger. And I thought, wow, world's greatest? Like, that's amazing. I got to check this out because I love a good cheeseburger. So I made my way over to the restaurant. When I got there, I walked into the establishment and I immediately blurted out, you did it. Congratulations, world's greatest cheeseburger. No, I, di I didn't do that. I wanted to do that, but I didn't. But I did order a burger, of course, and I love um, my burgers with like everything on them. And so I figure whatever you have back there in the kitchen, just load it on my burger. And then when I get it, if I don't like something, I know what to do with that. I can just take it off. But why run the risk of not getting something awesome, like, like nice, red, juicy tomatoes? And so I got this, this burger order came up, and I lifted up the lid, you know, the, the, the top bun, to inspect the burger. And I immediately noticed we have a problem. There's no tomatoes on this. Someone forgot to put the tomatoes on my burger. So I said, we got to fix this. And I brought it up to the cashier and I said, um, I'm sorry, excuse me, ma'am, but I think a mistake has been made because I ordered this burger with everything on it and there's, there's no tomatoes. Someone forgot the tomatoes. And she said, no, sir, there's, there's been no mistake. You see, everything doesn't come with tomatoes. I said, say what? <laughs> what? Everything doesn't come with tomatoes. And she pointed to the board and the board had a topping called everything. And under it had all the ingredients that everything included, and on it was not tomatoes. And I thought to myself, since when did tomatoes stop being a thing, right? Like, you got to put it all on there. And so thankfully, they fixed my burger order, and I enjoyed the burger. But here's the point. Today, we're going to talk about everything. And when I say we're going to talk about everything, I don't want you to think that we're going to talk about it in the burger order sense. I want you to recognize that when I say we're going to talk and think about everything, that I mean literally everything in the entire world, leaving nothing out, including tomatoes. Okay, that's, that's our objective today. And when I was in seminary, they told us that when we were preparing a message, be careful not to try to, to talk too much about too many different things. You know, keep it really specific. Keep your focus really narrow. Don't try to talk about everything. But today, we're completely ignoring that advice, okay? And we're literally going to talk about everything in the entire world. And the reason that we're going to do that is because the song that we're going to focus on this morning, it talks about everything. So if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been in a series called Songs of Summer. And uh, we've been diving into the book of Psalms, kind of what we've referred to as this ancient Hebrew mixtape of worship 
music, and we've been kind of leaning into these songwriters' heart expressions as they've taught us about life and God. And today I want to invite you to go to song number 24, or better known as Psalm 24. So if you'd go there, however you access the Bible this morning, uh, if you're using one of our Bibles, you'll find Psalm 24 on page 442. And as we work down through this song, we're going to notice that it, it kind of has three parts to it. There's the first part that talks about everything, the second part that talks specifically about people, and then the third part that talks about God. So everything, people, and God. That's kind of our basic outline. And, and as we approach this song, we first see this little brief header uh, that simply says, of David, a psalm. So that's pretty much all we get as sort of an introduction. Of David, so King David wrote it as he did the majority of the psalms in our Bible, and it is simply a song or a psalm. And verse 1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. In other words, it all belongs to him. Simply put, God owns everything. God owns everything. And just in case you misunderstood what, what everything includes, just in case maybe you would be prone to make the mistake of thinking it was like a burger, burger order kind of everything where everything only includes some of the things, he goes on in the next line, the world and all who live in it. So, so all the physical things of the world and all the living things, all the inanimate objects and all the animate objects, all the inorganic things and all the organic things, everything conceivably possible belongs to God. Why? Why is that? Well, he actually answers that question in the next verse, verse 2. Why is everything God's? For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. In other words, God owns everything because God made everything. God owns everything because he created it. He established it. He founded it. And isn't it true today, don't we know this as a principle in life that the one that makes something owns it? I mean, possibly there's no better scenario to think about this than the world of music, right? Here we are in the middle of a series on songs, and if there's any context in which we understand that the one that makes something owns it, it would have to be in the world of music copyrights, right? Well, actually, take a listen to this little ditty. Oh, yeah. That's, that's nice. Let's actually hear that again. Yes. Now, when that little ditty plays, there are essentially at least three groups of people in the room, right? There's, there's group number one that immediately starts thinking, ice, ice, baby. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you're out there. And then there's, there's group number two that you immediately start thinking, pressure pushing down on me. Okay? And, and then there's group number three that is thinking, I have absolutely no idea what's going on right now. <laughs> Now, I can't speak to why group number three exists, but I will say that the reason the first two groups exist is simply because there was a band named Queen that years ago, along with David Bowie, they wrote a song titled Under Pressure. And years later, they sued rapper Vanilla Ice for blatantly ripping off what they had created, that little musical melody line that we just heard. And ultimately, the whole thing was settled out of court for an undisclosed sum of money, but the point still remains that we know this to be true as a general life principle. The one that makes something owns it. Creators own their creations. To the maker of something go the rights to that thing. And this is the bedrock principle that seems to be at play here in what God is trying to communicate to us 
through David's song. That God has rights over everything because he made everything. It all belongs to him. All of it. Everything. You thought your stuff was your stuff. You thought your body was yours to do with what you wanted. But in the ultimate sense, God owns it. This, I think, by the way, explains why jealousy is actually a virtue. Uh, Most of the time we think of jealousy as a vice, but but in reality it's a, a virtue. And I think the reason we get confused on this is because we tend to use the words envy and jealousy synonymously, but there's actually a very significant difference between the two. You see, envy is a strong desire for something that isn't rightfully yours. Maybe your neighbor's pool, the, the award your coworker won at work, uh, your best friend's boyfriend. I mean, it, it could be just about anything, but it's a strong desire for something that I have no rights to, whereas jealousy is actually the opposite. It's a strong desire, yes, but for something that is rightfully yours. Jealousy can carry with it the idea of protecting one's own rights to something. Like Queen and David Bowie were protecting the rights to that melody line. A married woman, for example, has every right to expect that her husband's affections are only going to go in her direction. And should she see them begin going in a different direction, she has a right, you could say, to issue a very strong, oh no, you didn't, right? To her husband. Because why? Because she has a right in that sense to be jealous for her husband's affections. Question, what is it that God has every right to be jealous for? (laughs) Everything, right? Because it all rightfully is his. It all belongs to him. And many people, I'm afraid, have mistakenly thought of God as a scoundrel because he refers to himself as a jealous God. But I want you to know he isn't being a jerk. He's simply being who he is, the owner of it all. And so for him to be jealous of what he owns is actually virtuous. God owns everything because God made everything. And I think today there's a really important corollary principle to the first two. So if God owns everything because God made everything, then it stands to reason that everything is inherently good. Everything is inherently good, right? Don't we almost see that overemphasized in the creation account when we read the Bible? We see that God made something and he said it was good. And then he made something else, and he said it was good. And then at the end of the creation week, he looks over everything that he's made, and he says what? It's, it's very good. And that's simply because the product of a totally good God is total goodness. It can be nothing less than that. So everything is God's, and everything is good. But then, this song kind of turns a bit of a corner. Because in verse 3, it asks this question. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? In other words, it's kind of like asking, like, who can be with God? Who can hang out with him? Who can be in his presence? And we would expect that the answer to that would be, well, anyone can. Like, anyone can, because after all, God made everything and everything is good, and that includes people, so anyone and anything can be in his presence. But surprisingly, that's not what we find in verse 4. Verse 4 says, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. So this section of the song presents us with the stark reality that though everything is God's, God doesn't see everything the same. Some, he says, are righteous. Some have clean hands and a pure heart. 
and some don't. Some, he says, trust in him alone, and others trust in idols and swear by false gods. In other words, something at some point along the way broke. Though things and people were made good in the beginning, something happened deep within the heart of humanity that corrupted the human race's innate goodness. And in the early pages of Genesis, we discover what that something is. It was man's rebellion against their maker. And ever since then, the effect of that rebellion is that every person is born with a sinful nature that longs to worship self instead of God. I think this also helps explain why the focus of this song changes from everything in the first section to now only people in this second section because there's an essential difference between you and your tennis racket right? There's an essential difference between your husband and the tree in your backyard. There's an essential difference between your neighbor and your cat. See, see, distinct from every other part of creation, people were made in the image of God. And we have a spiritual component that relates to God. And because this spiritual part of us often wants the wrong things, it creates problems for us as we interact with the things of this world and with the people of this world. And so we learn a principle in life is this, that not everything good, or not everything made good, is used for good. That's how it plays out. Not everything made good ends up being used for good. Though everything is good in essence, you and I know that not everything is good in reality. Our world has problems, lots of them. We have problems, lots of them. And because our hearts are sinful, we tend to abuse the good things that God has made in harmful, destructive, and self-serving ways. Yet, In this section, David recognizes that it is possible to be a person who God favors. It's possible to be a person who draws close to God and to be in his presence, and that that is where the truly blessed life is experienced. And I think as David's writing this song, his heart begins to become overwhelmed with emotion about what it means to live in harmony with God and to be in his presence. And in the last section of the song, he breaks out in what can be described only as a bona fide jam session. Because the the rest of this song reads like a power anthem. This is the 80s anthem rock chorus. This is the don't stop believing moment of the song. You know, where the band pulls out all the stops. In verse 7 we read, Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. And then like any great power chorus, it repeats. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. What a powerful ending to this great song. But what is this about gates and doors? That's kind of weird. Like, what is that language? Well, I, I think, remember, this is a song, and I think this is David using poetic language to sort of visualize this group of Israelites returning back to the city of Jerusalem, and in front of them is the the ark of God, this symbol of God's presence going before them, and they're triumphant in battle. And, And I think for us today, it's simply a reminder as we think in the context of everything to stay focused on the ultimate good, stay focused on the ultimate good, that there is in our experience both good and bad swirling all around us, but our aim is to keep focused on the glory and hope found only in our God. And when the subject in view is everything, God's presence is meant to make a difference right down to the woodwork. So how is it that you and I can apply this song this morning to our lives? Doesn't it to you seem like it does to me? Just a teensy bit overwhelming 
to apply a song whose subject matter is literally everything? I mean, that seems like quite a task. But what I think this song does best for us is it helps us to realize that once you've made sense of everything, you can better understand, you can better handle everything. That once you've made sense of everything, once you've gotten to look at the whole picture, you can more easily comprehend every specific part of the picture. Like this part, for example. This is a piece of wood. It's a log, right? It's just a log. It's a piece of everything. I want to ask you a question about this piece of wood. Is it a good piece of wood or a bad piece of wood? You might say, well, I don't know. Tell me what you're going to do with it, right? Then I'll tell you if it's good. No, let's not go there just yet. As a thing, like is this good or bad? And I think if we take Psalm 24 to heart, we can only conclude that this is a good piece of wood. Like it's part of everything that God made. Like it's, it's good wood. It's God's wood. But now we could further ask the question, okay, what could I do with this wood? What, what kind of usefulness could I make of it? And man, there's a lot of things that I could do with it. I could throw it in, you know, my wood stove and heat my home with it. Uh, I could build a home out of it if I had enough of them and they were long enough. I could um, whittle a toy out of it for a young child. Uh, I could throw it in a campfire and simply enjoy the warm blaze. This one will probably go in the campfire this week. But... Um, <laughs> That's, that's a lot of productive things that I can do with this piece of wood, but I could also do some pretty destructive things, some pretty harmful things with it, right? I could, I could uh, write a profane message on it if I wanted to and leave it on my neighbor's doorstep. I don't know why I would do that, but I mean, I could do it, right? I could, um, I could smash up somebody's personal property with it. I, I could even go a step worse, and I could carve a club out of it and use it violently against somebody else. I, I hope I would never do any of those things, but the point remains that in this, in this piece of wood is inherent a, a lot of possibilities. But, but the principle that we need to think about is that regardless of what purpose this is used for, this part of God's everything is and always will be a good log. It is a good piece of wood. It is God's log. And I also want you to understand that this log is not neutral. It's not neutral. I think there's a common misunderstanding that occurs that, that says that things are kind of neutral until we can detect either a good or bad purpose in them. But Psalm 24 is teaching us that we don't have to wait until this thing gets a purpose for us to call it good. It's good simply because it is. It's good simply because it exists. It was made by God and for him. Do you realize that even without assigning a purpose to something, it already has a purpose? To glorify God. It already has an inherent purpose to bring glory to its maker. A tree, a plant, not a bad thing, not a neutral thing, a good thing. Raw materials of all kinds, good things. Music, the elements and parts of music, melody, harmony, rhythm, not neutral, not bad, they're good things. Food and drink, they're not bad, they're not neutral, they're good. Things like technology, smartphones, Televisions, computers, not inherently bad, not neutral, inherently good. Sports, hobbies, our bodies themselves, not neutral things, not bad things, but good things. And I think the underlying principle to understand when David writes that everything belongs to God is to recognize that everything already has the latent purpose, the built-in purpose of glorifying God. Everything contains that, that God made. Because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So this morning, let me suggest three commitments 
that you and I need to make with this truth in mind. I think that if we will practice these three commitments, we will learn to bring glory to God the way that he intended in every part of our lives and everything. And each of these commitments, they relate to the different parts of the song that we looked at. So everything, people, and God. So this first commitment related to everything. Commitment number one, I'll affirm goodness wherever I find it. Be a person that that makes this commitment. I'm going to affirm goodness wherever I find it. Oh, and by the way, it's not hard to find. It's all over the place because God made our world. And so there's goodness running wild, you could say. Now, of course, sin has tainted and corrupted the good things God made in certain ways, but that sin doesn't nullify its inherent goodness. Some people, I think, tend to look for the devil in everything as if their sole purpose in life is to be a sin detector. But I want you to be encouraged this morning to not call bad what God has made good. Just because a certain style of music has been used for evil doesn't mean we should vilify it for those who would use it to bring glory to God. Just because a certain food or beverage has been used in evil ways in the past doesn't mean that others can't celebrate it as God's good provision for their lives and worship him through it. I think our tendency, if you'd be honest, and I'm, I'm prone to this as well, is we're prone to call our own preferences good while being suspicious of the preferences of others. But God can rightly be worshiped by every human culture, style, and form, and it's not only the ones that you and I most prefer. I would say today that some of the most significant damage over the years that's been done to the cause of Christ in our world has been the result of well-meaning Christians who can't seem to get past their own preferences and so they end up creating obstacles to the gospel that God never intended. But we become powerful agents of the gospel when we live as affirmers of the good rather than as morality police in society. Paul spoke of the need to get past our own preferences and embrace all the good things God made. When he wrote to a bunch of believers who were struggling with whether or not they should eat meat that had been sacrificed previously to idols. Should they eat this meat that had been previously used in idol worship? And they were wrestling with that in their conscience. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10 to them, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For, and then check it out, he quotes the very song we're reading this morning, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So the reason we can enjoy anything in the world, even if it is, quote, guilty by association, unquote, is because it belongs to God. It's his, ultimately. Again, Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, for everything God created is good. And nothing is to be rejected if, notice the qualifier, if it is received with thanksgiving. So nothing is to be rejected if it's approached properly. If we approach something with a proper spirit of appreciation and we use it in a way that honors God, it can be celebrated as God's provision for us. Simply because a certain object, form, or style has been used for evil doesn't make it so. And I pray that we as a church and myself as an individual, I pray you as an individual aren't widely known mostly for what you're against, but rather for what you're for. And that doesn't mean we won't stand against certain things. Of course, we'll stand against certain behaviors and certain ideas that are, that are clearly wrong biblically. But we should of all people be the first 
to support and celebrate the inherent goodness in all things because we know the maker of those things, right? We know the maker, our creator God. Now at the same time, let's not be naive, okay? We do need to recognize that not everything made good is used for good. Sometimes the good things of God are abused because of our sinful hearts. And so the second commitment you and I need to make related to people and specifically ourselves is this. I'll guard my own affections and actions. I'll guard my own affections and actions. And I'm not choosing these two terms arbitrarily this morning. I think we discover them in David's song. Because notice he mentions that to live righteously means being a person with clean hands and pure hearts. So, so this implies that there are essentially two ways that we end up getting this wrong. That we end up turning God's good things into things that are used for evil. And that is when we act out with dirty hands, sinful actions. And when we bring bad, evil motives to something, sinful or impure affections. Sinful actions and sinful affections. It's like taking the good log of God and bringing the sometimes sinister affections of my heart, my sinful anger, for example, and allowing those affections to play out in an activity that is destructive, like smashing a window. But I think this morning that potentially the greatest threat to us, if we were to fail to guard our affections and our actions, would be that we might not recognize that there's a subtle danger behind everything good that God made. And that is that we might just turn a good thing into a God thing. There's a subtle danger in, in everything good God made that we might just be tempted to turn that good thing into a God thing. And that we might be, begin to start to make that thing ultimate instead of God. So your phone is a very good thing in and of itself, but I wonder today, has it become a God thing? And that your affections run toward it more quickly than they do toward God? Social media is a good thing, but has it started to become a God thing in your life because you're beginning to base more of your affirmation in life on the comments and likes of other people more than you are on what God says is true of you in Christ? Your body is a very good thing made by God. It's not neutral, it's not bad, it's good, but I wonder, has it started to become a God thing in your life because you're beginning to draw more of others' attention toward it than you are toward God? Sports are a good thing, but I wonder if they've started to become a God thing because they've so consumed your priorities that you, you have little time left for your God-given priorities. See, I, I think you and I, we need to be careful not to provoke God's jealousy by taking something that rightfully belongs to him. He made you. He owns you. And furthermore, if you've placed your trust in Christ, then Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we've been bought at a very high price of the blood of Jesus. So we're to honor God in our bodies. The first two commitments, I'll affirm goodness wherever I find it. Secondly, I'll guard my affections and actions. And finally, number three, I'll choose to focus on Jesus. I'll choose to focus on Jesus. Lift up your heads, all the gates and doors. Lift them up that the king of glory may come in. I want to encourage you today, don't allow yourself to be disillusioned or jaded with living a life of faith simply because some people in your pathway have let you down, or someone that claimed to be really close to, to God lived a hypocritical life. And I also want to encourage you not to become a negative and critical person of some of the good things God made simply because you've seen them abused by others in the past. 
I want to encourage you today to get your focus off those people and get your focus off of those things and you look at Jesus. Keep your focus on Jesus, the King of glory. He'll never let you down. David writes, that the King of glory may come in, but I want you to know today that the King of glory has come in. He's come into our world when he went to the cross to pay the sin debt that we owed before a righteous God that we couldn't pay. And if we've placed our trust in him, he's come into our very hearts which means the king of glory is with you all the time. So I wonder today, where does this song need to be sung into your life? Right in this moment. I wonder what gate or what door needs to sit up and take notice that the king of glory has come in. I wonder today if it's the, the gate of your current relationship issue or the door of your financial struggle. Perhaps today it's, it's the gate of your anxieties over the future or your door of desiring to live in the past, going back to a time that no longer exists. Maybe it's the gate of a physical limitation that you've been asked to carry or the door of a bad habit that you just can't seem to overcome. Whatever area or issue you're dealing with, I wonder if those gates and those doors have been far too big in your view for far too long and it's time to look up and get the king of glory in your view in a fresh way. Whatever our issue, whatever our area, I have to believe this morning that once we've made sense of everything in this way, then we will better be able to handle every little thing that life throws our way because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So today, let's treat everything as if God owns it because he does. And let's recognize that everything is God's, everything is good and it all exists to bring him glory. Will you pray with me? Or today, we just have to admit that we become overwhelmed when we think about everything because it's even the decisions of today and the trials that are coming maybe at the end of the week or perhaps it's the next work day. It's all these things of life that are already so difficult at times for us. So I, I thank you, God, that you are bigger than any of this. You're able to handle anything that concerns us today. You are for us God, thank you, and you are good. So I pray today that we would desire um, the, the right things in life, Lord, that we would desire to please you first and foremost with our lives. Thank you for being so patient, gracious, and merciful to us today. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.